Hello again. This is Jacob, and you're listening to part four, the audio recording of my memoir, Strive On. Thank you for listening. Friday, April 24th, 2014. I was supposed to go to the military entrance processing station in Buffalo on Wednesday. On Sunday night, I once again had wave after wave of increasingly debilitating panic attacks. They continued into the next day, Monday, my first day of barber school. I'm not looking for a career as a barber, but I decided it would be smart to have a trade. Anyways, the only way to describe these panic attacks is irrational, illogical, and random stretches of what feels like impending doom, complete apocalypse. I've been experiencing this in my life for many years. Up until now, I always thought they were temporary, purely situational. It's not at all true. This time, it was so bad, and to my knowledge, nothing triggered it. I should explain the military entrance processing station, or MEPS. It's an overnight trip to Buffalo to take the ASVAB, which is an aptitude test that you must pass before joining the U.S. military. When I previously took it, I got in the high 80s. After the written examination, you must go through an intense physical evaluation. If you pass everything, you meet with a representative of your chosen branch of service, whether it be the Marines, the Navy, Air Force, or Army. You choose a job and sign a contract for four or five years. I was not nervous. I was very pumped up and excited to start a new chapter. These anxiety attacks come out of nowhere all the time. I've never taken any medication for it. I'm scared that if I did, I might lose my personality. My panic attacks persisted into Tuesday all day and forced me to leave school early. But a lot of other people did too. They lied and said they had appointments at lunch. So in my panic state, I followed suit. Instructor acted like it was no big deal that the other guys left. So I thought, I need to get a moment of alone time, some peace. My son's mom picked me up at the grocery store next door to the barber school and talked crap to me the whole rest of the night. She called me names, screamed at me, and blamed me for things that I legitimately didn't do. Later on, around 7 p.m., on God, my anxiety became worse than ever before. I begged her for help. I begged her to somehow help me. She said, why do you have anxiety? According to her, my response was quite rude, and it may have been. In my memory, I was extremely panicked and fighting back tears. Either way, I replied with the words, I don't know. I never know. There's never any reason to it. She snapped at me without looking up from her iPhone game. She showed zero compassion then and none for the rest of the night as my anxiety grew worse and she grew colder, meaner. Never once tempted to stop playing her iPhone game to console me. Eventually, at about 10 p.m., I contacted my recruiter and blatantly lied to him. I feel awful about that because he is and was the only recruiter in all my experiences to treat me with respect, always shooting me straight. I lied and said my son went to the hospital 
and that I needed an emergency postponement. He was very understanding. I lied so bad to him just to get the pressure to subside because I didn't feel I could go to MEPS like that the following morning. He and his boss hit me up all day the next day for details and updates. At first, I kept the lie going. Then, I just blocked him on Facebook and blocked all their phone numbers. This ended any possibility of military service for me. My dream is basically dead. I would be morose if I wasn't so anxious still. Even though I have gotten it to lessen in severity, it is still here. The anxiety is so bad, and it sucks. She just texted me, basically saying she feels bad for the other night. She says she made my anxiety worse and feels like it got so bad that it kept me from joining and that everything's ruined. I didn't know what to say. I told her not to blame herself. I should have a stronger composition, but I guess I don't. One thing I remember, Tuesday night I was sitting in the living room on the chair and she was laying on the couch. I was so panicked and I began to weep. I began to speak to her. I didn't care if she got mad at me. I told her how a religious comedian asked people to message him on Facebook for any prayer request for him to read Sunday night while he was away on a pilgrimage. He confirmed that he read mine. I kept it short. I just asked God to release me from my anxiety. That same night, I put a request on Facebook that I had uh, a prayer on my heart and I asked people to pray for me because God already knows what's on my mind. At least a dozen people supposedly prayed for me to be free from anxiety after they messaged me. So I told this to her and I cried because I couldn't understand why God didn't grant my prayers. Not that I questioned him or that I was angry at him. I still fully trusted in him just felt so sad inside. Not only did I still have anxiety, but it was worse than ever. Thursday, woke up at 7 a.m., immediately felt dizzy and nauseous. Later that day, I vomited several times at barber school. Thankfully, I made it to the bathroom. I felt worse and worse. The nurse at the urgent care facility told me I had a temperature of 101 degrees Fahrenheit. When the doctor came in the room, he told me that I have an intestinal flu and I am highly contagious. What a crappy week. I didn't realize today was Friday until it was already 5 p.m. Midnight, April 30th. 2014. I drank a lot of caffeine earlier today, so overall my mood was better. Nothing changed with the situation I previously mentioned. I thought a lot about the military today, specifically how many times I tried to serve in every capacity across all branches, but I've attempted to join so many times. Today I concluded that God never allowed me to do this because I was chasing personal accolades and glory. Friday, May 2nd, 2014. I went to the doctor after barber school yesterday. After speaking with her, 
about my anxiety and subsequent problems, the doctor asked me about my sleep. I told her about my nightmares, and the more I talked about them, the more I couldn't make eye contact, and I got very uncomfortable. We talked in detail for quite a while. Long story short, she diagnosed me with post-traumatic stress disorder and said that all my anxieties were directly caused by it. So she prescribed me an SSRI antidepressant pill called Wellbutrin. I was and still am scared to take this. I don't want to become a zombie. Anyways, I just took the first pill a couple hours ago. It won't affect me until after a few weeks. We'll see, I guess. God willing, it'll help. Everybody's asleep. I'm up even though I'm dead tired. I treasure my alone time. It's nice to sit and watch Simpsons DVDs that I've seen one million times. Makes me happy. Good night. May 6, 2014. Today felt weird. Not very good anyway. No emotions. Super lethargic all day, even though I was well rested. Time seems to go by incredibly slow. I felt as though at any given moment I could fall into a comfortable sleep. I didn't feel fatigued or exhausted. I did feel close to sleep though. Impossible to focus. And normally, I'm incredibly attentive and focused. But not the case. Ever since I started the pill, I feel like how people describe ADD, which I do not have. Tomorrow, I start two pills a day. The past five days have been one per day. I guess the only real complaint is that I am noticeably more forgetful and absent-minded. Stupid mistakes that are totally out of character for me. I'm nervous for tomorrow. May 9th, 2014. She texted me when I was at school saying she doesn't want to be with me anymore. Makes me really sad that I'm not showing it on the outside. Maybe sad isn't the best word. I feel like complete shit on the inside. Speaking from my heart, I feel like I've done everything possible to make it work. That's why I'm trying hard to think about other things. If I think about this, I'll probably feel really depressed. Things could be worse, but things could be a lot better. I had a nightmare last night. As usual, it was alarming and was about my mom's ex-husband, D. It wasn't where all the nightmares usually take place, our old house in Springwater. This nightmare was a flashback to their wedding. I'm getting incredibly anxious thinking about it, writing about it. This pill seems to do a good job of making me relax. Usually I'm always hypervigilant and easily agitated. This doesn't exactly cure my anxiety, but I've noticed a reduction in severity. But why haven't the nightmares and daytime flashbacks stopped? The last week or so, I've noticed one thing. If anyone reaches close into my personal space, whether gently or not, I legitimately get level 10 uncomfortable. And I've never been this way. I wouldn't say I panic, but I get uncomfortable and on edge. What's up with that? 
it hurts. It hurts inside. I feel tempted to drink to heal the pain. But I know better than to think that will help. My heart hurts. I don't understand. I'm starting to think a lot and I'm feeling depressed. I can't breathe right. May 10th, 2014. I thought antidepressants or happy pills were supposed to make you feel good, optimistic and positive. All I feel is neutral. About 100% of things, neutrality. It's not apathy, I do care. It's that I have no, ama- I have no emotions. I have no highs, no lows, anger. I can feel hurt, although I don't right now, and I feel like I should. I had another instance of personal space violation last night, and I reacted just as I previously wrote. My appetite is almost gone. Not completely, but this combined with anxiety has led me to lose all my muscles. Lost that too. I don't believe it. My chest, arms, my legs, all shrunk. It's a shame because I worked so hard for those gains. Still, I feel perfectly neutral about this. Monday, I'm about to call for an appointment with my doctor. I don't want this useless medicine anymore. What's the point? Either deal with anxiety, nightmares, and flashbacks, or become an inhuman, emotionless entity that still experiences the symptoms, only slightly less severe. I hate it. I don't feel like myself. The one thing I do like about this medication is that I am not constantly on edge. It's nice. Other than that aspect, still whack. I'm sitting outside on the picnic table right outside my apartment building. The pain has almost entirely peeled off this shabbily made testament to American engineering. If a heavy person sat on it, it would definitely break. The state of the table and its location are mentioned because I normally write from inside my apartment. I moved this table about 20 feet to a new position that perfectly catches the breeze between two buildings, has a decent amount of shade from a late blooming tree, and best of all, I can see at least 300 feet in any direction, unobstructed. No matter where I look, it's either an apartment buildings or the abandoned factory across the street that may get reconstructed and turned into a casino. I love this neighborhood. It is walking distance from the beach, five minute driving to anything you want or need. I like living here because it's still urban, but it's literally right at the end of a 10 mile long street that is mostly a high crime area. My apartment complex is right at the end of that very long street and as I said, almost reaches Lake Ontario. There are many murders on the opposite end of this street, drug crimes and all different kinds of terrible things. The part where I live is very safe. An 85 year old lady could walk around at 2 a.m. and probably feel safe. You go two miles south and you can forget that. Remember my ex-girlfriend, M? Her mom dated all kinds of scumbags. I won't say this one dude's name, but he was the one of the biggest heroin dealers in our city. One night, her mom called upset because her boyfriend had to lay low because he shot somebody. The next day or soon after, his 16-year-old son got shot and killed, and it was turned out to have been friends of the original homicide victim. I'm so glad she's out of my life right now. God rescued me from that sinking ship. I have one million similar anecdotes about her and her psycho cohorts. I'm starting to feel anxious, thinking about money, work, my son. I don't want to be a bum. 
I want to make good money so I can provide him everything he needs and more. If I go off these meds, will I go back to before? Anxiety totally crippling me and preventing me from doing damn near anything? I can't live like that. This is the definition of being between a rock and a hard place. I'm getting chilly now. Time to go inside and mindlessly scroll through Facebook, paying no attention to anything until it's time for my next pill. June 1st, 2014. I had breakfast with a family member yesterday. It was cool. We went to the diner by her house that we always used to eat at. It has new owners. They made the interior dedicated to old Hollywood movies about the mafia. We sat next to a Goodfellas poster. She told me a lot about myself. One thing she noticed that I hold on to so much pain. And despite all the hurt, I want to still have so much love in my heart. I feel so sad on the inside. I don't know why I'm going through this, but I trust God. I miss my dad. I don't understand his brain. And looking back on past fatherhood decisions, I'm not sure I'll ever feel okay about the way he chose to do certain things. In my opinion, the presence of a poverty-stricken father is worth 100,000 times more to the child than the bountiful wealth of a rich dad who was never around. God, please release me of this pain, anxiety, and mental anguish. Please, God, I know that you are my only possible cure. Please give my heart a small amount of tranquility. My mind is so active always contemplating, wondering, seeking knowledge, faithful to God above all else. Still, my mind can't overcome this affliction. PTSD is like a ghost from bad times long ago that won't stop haunting me. Why? I hate it. Wednesday, July 9th. 2014, 7 p.m. I'm at the private beach on Beach Avenue at the end of my street. Nobody is ever here because it's so tiny and there's not that much sand, just big rocks. It's awesome though. I love coming here, even in the dead of winter, even at night, even in a severe storm. I love it. I miss my dad a lot. This beach is peaceful, but it's so littered with trash. It makes me sad. I'll come back with a plastic bag next time to pick up the trash. About to ride my bike home. Not that I'm in a rush to get there. August 25th, 2014. I want to talk about some temptations I've experienced lately and how I've done with them. I am proud of how I've matured. Females, for example. My guy friends are still chauvinistic pigs who treat girls like pieces of meat. I've been lowering my gaze for quite a while now. I don't feel comfortable checking out a hot girl in tight clothes anymore. I used to look. Everybody looks, I thought. But I began to feel guilty and I didn't like the idea of somebody doing that to my future wife or daughter. 
I saw a video of a bodybuilder on stage during the co-ed bodybuilding competition. A Western woman comes out on stage in nothing but a bikini. The bodybuilder, who happened to be Muslim, covered his eyes with his hat. And when I saw that, I felt proud of him because what a great example. More people should see that. All anybody sees on TV are extremists. Alcohol. I haven't drank in a long time, but I still see loved ones drinking at family gatherings. They sometimes invite me. Sometimes I feel tempted, but I don't go through with it. Usually I will text friends and talk to them about faith. I believe we're here for one reason, God's will. I used to let friends of mine, bless their hearts, convince me that God doesn't care if we drink. These people are not in my life anymore for plenty of good reasons, but no hard feelings. I genuinely hope they reach paradise. Not exactly a temptation, but anger and stress management have always been hard for me. By the mercy of God, I've been much better about controlling my anger, even in level 10 anxiety situations. It's been extremely difficult. I've been getting better about not using curse words. I used to use them in casual conversation as well as when angry. Earlier today, I said fudge without even intending it. I felt the compulsion to swear, but the only word to escape my mouth was fudge. I was shocked by that. It has been about 2 months since I've been to the gym. I do miss it, but I feel liberated from my ego and my preoccupation with my physical aesthetics. Working out is very enjoyable for me and it serves as a stress release. But I've grown my hair long and my beard out and I just don't feel the need to be obsessed with bodybuilding. I care about pleasing God and being a great dad to my son and doing good deeds. Dream from October 15th, 2014. Went camping for fun to the Adirondacks. Did a mini trip to French Canada from the Adirondacks to Montreal. Beautiful scenery. No border crossing, just driving. Saw a bear in Canada. Back at campsite, we saw a huge bear from a distance going around each campsite. Then time fast forwards in the dream. It's just me and my mom. We somehow did a mini trip to Quebec again, and on the way back on the road, we saw the bear, but on a closer view, it was actually a huge black lion. I wanted to stay put, but my mom thought it was too dangerous, so we left. We retired to her house, our old townhouse. And then I wrote a Facebook post within the dream saying epic huge onyx lion dream from october 16th 2014 at wayland cohocton central school living in springwater and there is a student i'm there as a student in my current age 25 years old and i'm there finishing even though i've already graduated from high school and not from that one somebody asked me why are you still here i said i don't understand why either 
I graduated high school in 2007, went to college, and now I have a son. End of dream. December 6, 2014. Went to bed early last night. Cousins who live with me buzzed to get in. I got up out of bed, hit the buzzer, then got irrationally scared. I was so scared that it was like a trick, that it was not actually my cousins. My brain told me that it was D, my mom's abusive ex. I hid under my covers in fear until I fell asleep. At 3.45 a.m., I woke up in a full panic from yet another nightmare. This nightmare was unique because it contained both D and M, people that never met each other. I woke up terrified, and I stayed that way for hours. I wanted so badly to get out of bed and walk around my apartment, but I couldn't. I wanted to, but my brain convinced me that there was a very high danger for me as soon as I left my room. I stayed in bed until around 6.30 a.m., finally feeling a little better. I walked one mile in the cold, pouring rain, had a lonely breakfast by myself at the diner at the end of my street. At like 5 a.m., while laying in my bed, I got so frustrated, I yelled at the top of my lungs. I hate this. When will it end? I want to go back to sleep, but I'm scared to do that because... I'm sure I'll be tormented by nightmares as usual. It hurts really bad inside my head. Fall 2014, winter 2015 soliloquy. Late 2014 may have been the poorest time of my life. I had no steady job, no health insurance, and no vehicle. I was lucky enough to reconnect with the eldest of D's daughters, my former stepsisters. They lived with their mother but would visit us on alternating weekends and during school breaks. The eldest was kind enough to help me get a seasonal job at the retail outlet where she and her middle sister worked. I was tasked with standing in the Bluetooth speaker section and answering customers' product question during Black Friday and throughout the holiday season. I often got asked to help translate for Spanish-speaking customers, which made me think I had job security. I felt good about myself during this brief stint. I believed I was on track toward a better life. My supervisor told me he planned to keep me on as a part-time employee an upgrade from seasonal. Working with my former stepsisters felt cool, familiar, and safe. The only time I felt uneasy was when I had an inclination that their dad might stop in to see them. To my knowledge, he never showed up while I was there. I'm not even sure he knew I worked with his daughters. None of us had contact in over five years. I said yes to every request for overtime. I begged family and friends for morning or late night rides to and from work. I voluntarily completed over 100 e-learning courses, all to prove my determination and worth. I took every opportunity to cross train or shadow other departments. I didn't always have a ride home, 
Usually I did, but sometimes I just avoided asking because I already felt like I was taking more than I was giving. On these days, I'd trudge through the snow back to my neighborhood, roughly seven miles. I didn't mind. As an only child, I've learned to thrive in solitude. I never complained or felt pessimistic about the situation. I told myself, this is just temporary. Everybody starts out eating shit sandwiches somewhere. If I can stick it out, I can make a better situation for Luciano. Once, when my uncle let me borrow his car, I drove home on my lunch break to eat because I didn't have any money to buy food. When I tried to leave my parking lot to go back to work, the key got stuck in the ignition and it wouldn't turn. I couldn't start the engine, so I texted my uncle for advice. To maintain professionalism, I texted my boss with a commitment to return, albeit later than planned, and I included a video to prove to him I was telling the truth about the car. He either didn't care or didn't believe me, as indicated by his impatient response demanding my immediate return. I made it back about an hour later than expected. I was let go less than two weeks after New Year's 2015. My cowardly manager waited until the end of his shift and handed me a boilerplate document stating my seasonal employment had been terminated. He didn't say a single word about the paper or its contents, just handed it to me and said, you can finish your shift if you'd like. Then he quickly bolted out of the store. I read the paper in my hands. It took a moment for me to process what just happened. Feeling defeated, disappointed, and angry, I went to the break room and watched TV for a few minutes to kill time while I texted my ride. I was mad at myself that I failed at yet another job. I hated myself, and worse, I hate that I'd be asking a lot of people for financial help again. I did a bad job providing for my son, and this fact brought me to a dark, shame-filled mental place. Mom always taught me, when someone doesn't have a job, it is their full-time duty to find one. That meant a, f a minimum of 40 hours spent submitting applications, writing cover letters, and seeking interviews. Moping around will never put food on an empty belly. Self-pity, even when warranted, can never buy diapers. Our friend told me about a call center job with unlimited overtime. I reluctantly applied, secretly planning to continue seeking other opportunities and planning to jump ship at the earliest opportunity. The phone interview was easy. The in-person one, slightly harder, but I landed the job. At last, full-time permanent employment with benefits and a set schedule. At the very same time, I also got hired for a part-time job at Frontier Field, the local minor league baseball stadium. I spent mornings at the ballpark and evenings sitting through six weeks of paid training, learning the ins and outs of alarm monitoring and technical troubleshooting basics. Finally, no more fishing in dumpsters for recyclables. No more searching in dirty parking lots for loose pennies. Training at the call center was boring. 
It mostly involved shadowing or death by PowerPoint. Occasionally, I'd have to go on the phones and speak to customers, something that intimidated almost everyone in the class. My handwritten notes and peer mentors got me through the anxiety of talking to 911 dispatchers and frantic customers. Toward the end of training, a girl in my class took interest in me. She wasn't my type at all. She was white and heavy into the horoscopes. In her belief system, I was special because my birthday falls on the cusp of Gemini and Cancer. It didn't faze me when she shared with me how she was on probation for violently attacking someone and using an object to harm them. During our extremely short time trying to get to know each other, she found out that I picked up my son and took him to a playground earlier in the day. And she acted betrayed, like I kept a secret from her. Clearly, it triggered some kind of internal anxiety about deception. And I asserted that my son is number one and I will literally never ask permission for anyone to see him, nor would I explain why. Her demeanor went from a calm hippie to a loud, belligerent maniac. She choked me in the shared hallway of my apartment building, and I threatened to call the police. She went back to her place. Training ended, and we got assigned to different managers on different shifts. She tried to reconnect and make up with me, but I did my best to avoid her at all costs. Within two months, she either quit or got fired. Either way, I never saw or heard from her again. Work posted an opening for the elite TAG group, the most senior technical support team in the company. They had higher pay, cooler job duties, and they seemed to actually enjoy the job. They were specialists in the closed circuit television video systems or CCTV. Several schedules were open, but I'd already gotten turned down for the last time I bid for TAG. So this time, I strategically went for the overnight opening. I correctly assumed that less people would want to fill this in-demand position. My application was accepted without so much as an interview. They presented me with a new offer letter and showing me my new pay rate and upcoming training schedule. I was so proud but I tried to downplay it in front of my peers. Class started in late July 2015 and consisted of 50% classroom instruction and 50% shadowing or taking live calls. Some existing tag agents were assigned to my class as peer mentors. They were assigned to walk up and down the cubicle aisles and assist us with the technical questions as needed. One of them was a fashionable and confident girl whose tan skin and exotic dark eyes reminded me of a Southeast Asian princess. Exactly my type. Instant butterflies. Later, I learned that after seeing me for the first time, she told her best friend, I'm going to have his babies. I didn't see her much after tag training due to my overnight schedule. We didn't forget each other though. She volunteered for early morning overtime just to cross paths with me. Sometimes I would stay late for the same reason. 
Tag training brought back those same feelings of intimidation about talking to strangers on the phone and having to troubleshoot their overpriced security equipment. By pure chance, one August day after work, I happened to watch one of the many DVDs I borrowed from the Greece Public Library, The Wolf of Wall Street. I assumed it would be a boring two-hour lecture about stock trading, but I was hooked within the first minute. I loved everything about it, a cinematic masterpiece, but more importantly, inspiring. This film gave me a much-needed epiphany. I saw myself in the protagonist and felt like I could learn from how he overcame unemployment and modernity. I believed I could learn to smooth talk and politic my way up the corporate ladder. The one and only mission was money. Not titles, not praise, even career satisfaction. Literally, just money. I didn't care for the movie's debauchery or the character's lack of business ethics, but I loved the come up. I began exclusively listening to money-chasing music, and the only thing I ever watched was that same picture, The Wolf of Wall Street. I watched it before bed, I watched it once I woke up, and even I would listen to the audio while I drove to work. I wanted to banish from my life the possibility of waking up from the pains of an empty stomach and falling asleep with the same. I wanted money so I could guarantee Luciano would never suffer due to finance. Soon, I started experimenting with my own persuasive tactics. I would use positioning techniques to soften the blow of bad news when talking to an irate customer. I'd smooth talk my way onto special projects just so I could be off the phones for a little while. I never did give the library their movie back and ended up paying well over $50 in fines. Sunday, October 11th, 2015, 8.55 a.m. Just got out of work, sort of. I worked from 10.30 p.m. last night until 7 a.m. this morning. Yesterday, I found all my old drawings and notebooks. Wow, just wow. Looking back in how I used to be, it's absolutely astonishing. To be honest, I've given up trying to get better and I figured my best bet would be to find some mix of therapy and medication that would bring me to some level that I could fake feeling normal just to get by. I didn't think that I'd live to see the end of this. Not that I was suicidal, but I sort of assumed and was at peace with the fact that eventually I would die young due to a doctor's mistake or driving medicated and unintentionally having a fatal accident. I didn't want to die by any stretch of the imagination, but I did think of death a lot. On the other hand, my mentality changed. It's like, I genuinely don't give a fuck if I live or die. The mental anguish was beginning to seem worse and worse. I lost hope of any kind of recovery. I believed the so-called experts in the medical industry who told me PTSD and clinical depression have literally no cure. My best possible outcome would be to comfortably manage my symptoms. 
To me, that sounded like a slow death and made me feel worse and even more helpless. I never felt like pursuing that. I don't mind the idea of death because it would have, in theory, freed me from my suffering. I must say the deep love I have for my family gets me away from being actively suicidal, especially my prince, my little boy. Anyways, yesterday I saw my journals and I read the contents. I reviewed my old drawings and closed and reopened my eyes. I had to fight back tears, but I wasn't sad at all. It was truly overwhelming. Such a sudden change in perspective. The Jacob in the drawings and journal entries somehow survived, somehow broke free. By the grace of God, he suffers no more and he still breathes. I didn't even feel or believe that I once felt so much despair. It's just hard to imagine. I forgot the pain. Maybe due to a subconscious defense mechanism? I'm not trying to be redundant, so forgive me. But imagine that you're a bodybuilder like Dwayne The Rock Johnson. You're huge. You're rifling through old papers from 10 months ago and you find a picture of yourself. And in the picture, you weigh 90 pounds, soaking wet. You look in skinny and malnourished. A huge contrast. I guess that's sort of what this feels like. What changed? It's hard to say, but from about September, October 2014, I was progressively more medicated, going to more therapy and more stressed with no income to speak of. I decided sometime in December that 2015 would be a year I spent every minute of every day trying anything and everything to get fully cured of PTSD. I decided that logically, I ought not to feel hopeless until I have exhausted literally every option. If I was stranded on some remote island, would I try one or two things? Hell no. I'd never feel hopeless until even an idea with 0.0001% chance of success had been tried. So at midnight on New Year's, a pretty uneventful New Year's, I had my cousin shave my head. This was for me and me alone. To me, it symbolized a fresh start, a clean slate. The shaved head didn't go over well. Everyone at work cracked jokes, but I didn't care. Though I did miss my hair, it didn't make me regret anything. No attachments was my mantra. No attachments to anything, but mainly to the previous year's successes and failures. I was leaving it all in 2014 and not looking back. Not knowing what to try, I started with acupuncture, then yoga, then a ton of different herbal teas. I watched documentaries, read books, drew pictures, usually self-portraits, and I occasionally still saw a therapist. Nothing changed at all for the first month of 2015. I remained nervous and optimistic. In the first week of February, I went to my son's mother's house at 5 a.m. so everyone living there could go to work after I shoveled the driveway. I worked my butt off and eventually 
cleared the entire driveway from waist-deep snow. At about 7.40 a.m., she left. Moments after she turned the corner onto the main street, I began walking to my car, which was illegally parked cockeyed on the curb. The urban street was a sheet of black ice. I slipped and fell backwards at full force. I landed on the back of my head at the occipital bone. I was all alone, so I never knew if I got knocked out or just fell into a daze. If I was indeed unconscious, it was only for a few minutes. Fast forward. Severe concussion. Weeks later, still getting memory loss, painful headaches and nausea, not to mention a noticeable delay in my ability to construct and verbalize eloquent and well-thought-out sentences. The doctor told me I experienced a TBI, or traumatic brain injury, and now have post-concussive syndrome, but they said this will go away on its own if I rest my brain. <laughs>